Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing? So good to be with you today. If you're watching online, maybe on the live stream or listening to the podcast, we're so glad you're here. I know that so many people are still uh, having church at home, and uh, so we're thankful for those of you in the room. Welcome, welcome, and so glad you're here today for those of you at home, uh, maybe listening through the week or even today. We're so glad you're here. And you know, you may not know this, but we have about 50% of the chairs that we had in this room back in March, and we're still, you know, taking COVID seriously and trying to do all we can to, um, to just be safe when we gather. But I, I, what I am reminded of when we gather is just how the church isn't, of course, a place and a time. It is a people. And I know that we have so many people across our city right now that love the Lord and that are uh, worshiping at home. And we just want to say we're with you. We love you. And uh, we can't wait till we can get past uh, this season we're in, right? And we could see the Lord just kind of heal our land of this, uh, of this sickness we're in. And I just thought we'd pray today before I get into it. Uh, does anybody need prayer today? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody need prayer? Everybody need God's help in life? Anybody agree with that? I, uh, what a year. And, and, and I know we say that a lot, but we're, we're now up, uh, coming close to the election. We're, of course, uh, got a lot of uh, things running through our mind about that. And I already mentioned Corona. We have a lot of things going on in our country that I'm just, just, we just need God's help. And, uh, and so I just thought, you know, we'll of course pray for that, but I know it doesn't just, it's not just the big picture help. Like a lot of us need help in our life. We got stuff going on that just uh, requires his help. And, you know, in Psalm 121, I love that. He says, when, in my times of help, I look to my Lord and my creator. I look, I look up to the heavens creator of heaven and earth our God and so I just thought we'd go to the Lord in prayer as we get going and then I'll and then we'll get into the message today but would you just bow your heads and if you're somewhere in a place in life where you need help for anything just receive these this prayer for your life today but father we do come to you because we know that you are the great helper that your Holy Spirit will be our helper and as we just sang father we know that Lord you are the God of miracles. The Lord, you can do anything. And so, Father, I pray, I pray for each and every person here or each and every person at home that, Lord, you would just come near to us right now and you would just remind us of your love and the fact that you see us, that you, that you love us, that you, that you have us in all circumstances in life. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we do that on a personal level and we, we, we trust in you, I pray we would also trust in you on a, on a global level right now. That, Father, we would know that you have this world in the palm of your hand and that you can take care of all things. And so, God, we ask that you do that. We ask the Lord you would, you would heal our land and that, Father, you would, you would show us as the people of God what it means to be faithful, what it means to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength during these days. So God, we, 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 we just commit this time to you. We ask that, Lord, you would, uh, you would just move in this room as we just, again, as we just sang, that when we gather your presence, so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to move. 
And we pray all these things in your name. Everybody said? Amen. All right. So we are in a teaching series called The Way of Life, and we are in week number seven today. And I can't believe we're already in week number seven of this series. This is flying by, and I'm excited to get into it. So are you all ready to go? Yes? That was just about six of us. I hope the rest of you will get there in the next couple minutes. Um, But I'm ready to go. To begin, I want to talk about something a little bit fun. Is that all right? I always like maybe starting with something fun. But uh, how many of you have moments in life whenever you are um, just blown away by God's creation. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, your mind is just kind of can't comprehend what you're looking at or what you're seeing or what you have just experienced. Anybody have a moment like that in life at some point, right? Most of us have. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to just talk with your neighbor for just about, uh, you know, 30 seconds, a minute or so. And I want you to tell them like, what's the thing in creation that has blown your mind or the thing that you've encountered before that you just love to see in creation? So yeah, this is a little bit of like, what about the world? Um, You just blows your mind. All right. So tell the person next to you, I'm going to give you just 30 seconds or so. So be quick. Go, go, go. All right, you guys got it. You guys got all these amazing things. I, I, every once in a while, we, I think we did this last week too, but just give me a couple answers real quick, some things that blow your mind. Anybody have anything? Space, space blows your mind. That's a big category, space. Anybody else? The ocean. Okay, we're just going big picture stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody? Sunsets. Oh, yes. And, huh? Oh, our kids. They definitely blow my mind. They definitely blow my mind. Here's the thing. <clears throat> we are constantly amazed by the wonder of creation, are we not? It just, it does blow our mind. And you mentioning space, did you know that it takes four and a half years to travel to the closest star, besides the sun, of course, four and a half years traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, 671 million miles per hour, it would take you four and a half years to get to the closest star. That kind of stuff just kind of blows your mind whenever you think, especially when you get into the universe and outer space. But let's just keep it right here to Earth, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we we're blown away by the things we see, whether it be the Grand Canyon or we know about, we watch planet Earth and we see the migration of birds across across, you know, across continents. It just kind of blows our mind. Or we see a little tiny ant, right? Carrying 50 times its weight. Could you imagine carrying 50 times your weight? That's like carrying a car. And so the next time you see an ant carrying a Cheeto, (laughs) that's like you backpacking a Toyota Camry, okay? (laughs) So just keep that in mind. Like it's amazing what is going on in creation. I want to show you a picture that some of you may have seen before. About five years ago, I showed this to our church because this was like, what, what is that? Okay, this is Lake Hillier. It's in Austria. It's actually like it's very close to the ocean, but it is a lake and it's a natural wonder. Believe it or not, scientists do not know why this looks like a Pepto-Bismol factory. They don't, they don't know. They think it maybe has to do with some sort of bacteria, but they, they actually don't know, which I love because it's sort of like God was just one day was like, whenever he created the world, was like, I think I want a pink lake. 
Bam, you know what I mean? And he just did it because he wanted it. And I love that about this story. So nauseous people, you know, they visit Lake Hillary all, you know, all around the year. It's amazing. <clears throat> I have some bad ones today, be ready. I was like, I'm gonna jam pack this with as many bad jokes as I got. Um, but creation never ceases to, ex to, to amaze us, doesn't it? And, and you know, we should marvel at a lizard that changes color. I mean, what? We, 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 we should be amazed by a flower that decides to grow every spring called a tulip and then a year later says, I think I'm going to do it again. And it's like, how does it continue to do this, right? Or birds that can talk. <laughs> I've, we could literally go on and on for hours. And I think creation has a way of giving us a glimpse, of course, of God's wonder, his, his creativity and his, and his majesty. And, and I think as Christians... We see a sunset or we see creation in some way. It does make us want to worship. But the thing about creation is that the idea that there is a creator isn't a uniquely Christian view. Uh, most of us would be aware that, of course, most of the world religions believe in a creator God. Hindu, Muslim, you know, Jewish, all the smaller religious movements of the world, they, they believe in a creator God. Even agnostics that, that might not you know, align with religion Many of them still believe in some form of a higher power that probably created the world. And so today, I, I thought I would do something. I want to talk about something that same, may seem rather plain, may seem rather bread and butter of the Christian faith. But I want to talk about the powerful declaration that Jesus is Lord. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this on the screen. Jesus is Lord. And you're like, I thought we were just talking about that God is creator. <laughs> and... So this is kind of out of the blue. God is creator, but, but Jesus is Lord. And here's, here's where I'm connecting the two. But check this out. 90% of the world's population believes in some form of a creator God. 90%. Mo that means most people. However, 30% of the world would join in the declaration that Jesus is Lord. So the, the church of Jesus, although it's the largest faith movement in the world, you can see that it's actually just a small percentage of the world population that would actually kind of align with Jesus as Lord. But here's the thing that's even uh, gets a little bit more selective than that. When you really survey how many people actually live a life faithfully believing that Jesus is Lord, well, it's actually much less than 30%. Because all of us know a lot of people check on a survey that they're Christian. That doesn't necessarily mean they practice their faith. So Barner Research estimates around 8 to 14% of Americans, Americans, uh, are actually practicing followers of Jesus, and that number globally is much smaller, so even smaller than 30%. And so the statement of Jesus is Lord is plain and simple and bread and butter, right? But it's actually not all that common. Not as many people as you would think actually live their lives declaring that Jesus is Lord. And so I'm, I, I guess why I start here is because I think if we're talking about God, most people in the world acknowledge some form of God. It's actually pretty, it's a pretty common belief in a God and that God is creator. Although that's a very important belief, it's fairly common. But what's uncommon is the belief that Jesus is Lord. And that's an uncommon way of life. It's an uncommon thing in this world to not only say it and declare it, declare it but to, to, to live it. So it's not just word, but it's deed. And so I want us to talk about the uncommon way of life 
that Jesus is Lord. And that declaration and belief that Jesus is Lord is the foundation, which probably many of you know, of this church, of OKC Community Church. We exist in this city because we share that declaration that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is more than an intellectual belief. It's actually something that we would say should shape our identity, our purpose, our passion, the things we do, the things we don't do, and ultimately shapes our whole way of life. It's all predicated by this belief and this foundation that Jesus is Lord. I remember when we started OKC Community, I, I actually said um, that, you know, that Jesus is the founding pastor of this church. <laughs> and what I meant by that is, hey, no man started this. Christy and I didn't start this. A core group didn't start this. Jesus started this thing. That Jesus is actually the ultimate leader, the founder. He is the one who gets the credit for starting this because he is the one who put the whole foundation of the church in motion. He is the starter and the founding leader of our church. And so at OKC Community, I would say that we don't gather because uh, we want to feel good. We don't gather to be good. We don't even gather to eat good, as in consuming religious goods and services. <laughs> we gather because he is good. And we gather because we believe Jesus is Lord and that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? That's why we gather. And I know this is like bread and butter, but this isn't as common as you think. So I want to teach a simple but critical message that Jesus is Lord because I believe in 2020 what's happening is it's exposing lordship. It's exposing what's, what's really important to us. It's exposing what, who and what people really follow. It's exposing even how important things like politics are or other things. It's exposing what truly and who truly is in control of our lives. That's what's happening in 2020 that I think is actually really important. Because in today's post-Christian, secular culture, these types of distinctives are incredibly important. They're incredibly important because what's happening in our day and age, this is preceding 2020, of course, but it's just becoming more and more apparent in 2020, is that there's so many people who are claiming Jesus as Lord in word, but they are not indeed. And so what that means is we are creating all sorts of forms of spirituality, all sorts of forms of, of different Christian isms that might not even have names, but they are isms in, the, in, in their form. Because what, that, what happens is people claim Jesus as Lord, but they actually practice, they actually practice a self-led narrative in life. Meaning they are the ones who determine the truth. They are the ones who determine what they want to do. And so Jesus is actually just the shell for a lot of people's life. It's just the shell because what's inside of it is still this old way of life, this old person, this old man, the old self is still on the throne and we haven't put Jesus on the throne. And so what's happening in post-Christianity, but this is something that's as old as time, but it's becoming increasingly more apparent in our day and age, is that people are living in a self-prescribed, self-directed way of life, and they are not submitting to Jesus as Lord, and what's happening is they're only taking the parts of the gospel that feel right to them, and they're leaving the parts that don't feel right. What does that sound like? That sounds like the self the individual is the one on the throne, making decisions about life and matters of truth and matters of morality and in matters of faith. And so why this is important, why this is important is, um, 
a lot of people are doing this. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm sitting here up here, standing up here like there's some group out there. There's some group of people that are doing this, and they are the problem. You see, Jesus said something one time. He said, hey, don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own. He said, first deal with what's going on with you. And if I'm being honest, like, the thing about my life is I can feel the old self creeping up to take the throne all the time. Is anyone with me on that? You see, I want to state again that a life where Jesus is Lord is not all that common. And I, I would say that that's true even in the church. Even in the church, among those who say that Jesus is Lord, the reality of Jesus is Lord, I don't want it to be just word, but I want it to be, I want it to be in my deed and in my way of life. So Jesus' word in John 15, I want to spend some time in John 15 today. They're very, very critical to this idea of lordship. He talks about the idea of abiding, and these are some of Jesus' most tender words that he says to his disciples because this is on the eve of Jesus being arrested and crucified. And so these words are actually really, really important if you just think about the timing of when he's saying this to his disciples. So verse 1, John chapter 15, verse number 1. He says this. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, another translation says that my father is the gardener. But I'm just going to pause real quick on this first sentence because this is actually a very important verse. Jesus returns to the garden language of Genesis 1, which I love. So he takes us all the way back to the beginning, but he also connects it for the disciples to the modern world that they were in. You see, the idea and the metaphor of the vine was something they were very familiar with. They actually said things like, um, that the Jewish religion, for example, they would say that, uh, <clears throat> that, that the Torah is, is the vine that we should stay connected to. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want to I reframe something. And he says that I am the true vine. And so any good Jewish person, they would be connected to this covenant, this Torah. And he's saying, no, no, I'm the true vine. I'm reshaping the way you see things. There's an old way of life. I'm creating a new way. There's an old covenant. Now there's a new covenant. There's your old self. Now there's a new self that I want you to step into. So I'm the true vine. I'm the one you need to be connected to. And God, he's the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the creator God. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the, of the uh, word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Everyone say abide. Now, abide means to remain. Now, I'm reading from the ESV version, translation, because I wanted to, to, to use the version that says abide. But you'll see in other translations the word remain or the word stay. And Jesus is talking to them, yes, about abiding, but he's also talking to them about bearing fruit. So in those first uh, in verses 2 through 5, you'll see, him, you'll see him actually progress to a life that produces no fruit, to a life that produces fruit, to a life that produces more fruit, just in, those, in that short little progression. And he's actually talking to them about fruit, because you can imagine Jesus is looking at these disciples saying, I want you to bear much fruit in your life. I've just done this journey with you for three years, and if you go now and live a life that is fruitless from this point forward, it'll be a failure. And so Jesus is like, I actually want you to bear 
more fruit. So he's talking about abiding and he's connecting it to this idea of a life that bears fruit. So quickly, I want to tell you about three characteristics of fruit. Part, before we even get to point one, fruit is delicious. Now point number one. Fruit always bears the character of the tree that it's from. When Christy and I first got married, we had a pear tree, a fully mature pear tree in our backyard. It produced about 10,000 pears a year. I hated it. (laughs) But here's what I know about that tree. That tree never produced bananas, oranges, or apples. Why? Because the fruit that is produced is connected to the nature of the tree. So if you want to be bearing the right fruit, you have to be connected to the right vine. That's the first thing about fruit. The second thing is that fruit is always visible. (laughs) You don't ever get to a vine and go, ah, this year the fruit is unseen. This year there's fruit, but you just can't see it. No, no, no. Fruit is always visible. So people will see the spiritual fruit in your life. And conversely, when there is no fruit, guess what? They will They will see that too, because fruit is always visible. Third characteristic about fruit is that fruit always exists for the benefit of someone else. Fruit doesn't eat itself unless the fruit is rotten. And so it's actually for the purpose of others. You don't have the fruit of the Spirit for yourself. It's actually for the benefit of others, which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that God says, I'm going to produce fruit in you, and it's actually going to be for the benefit of of others. So back to uh, verse number five, John 15, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So all of a sudden we're at much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone who does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So a life that chooses to not abide, well, it's going to wither. It's going to be a life that's wasted, right? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So even in this this moment, he's connecting prayer to the idea of abiding. And he's saying, hey, if you pray, as long as you're abiding, he's confident that those prayers will be answered. He's connecting it to obedience and abiding to prayer. Verse number eight, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse number nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, may, that, joy that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, the word abide occurs 10 times in John chapter 15. Do you think Jesus might have been trying to say something to his disciples? And simply understood, abiding demonstrates lordship. I want to I give you three thoughts about abiding in Christ. Because remember, we're talking about Jesus as Lord. But I want to give you three thoughts about abiding in Christ. And all three, I know this is going to blow your mind, all three th- uh, thoughts start with the letter R. Everyone say R. All right, back at you, matey. That was bad joke number two. 
This is going to be really, really relevant, really revolutionary, really radiant, really, I'll quit. Um, number three, are you keeping count of my bad jokes today? So here it is. I'll put these on screen real quick. Abiding is about resting in Jesus, relying on Jesus, and relinquishing to Jesus. That's already good right there. I don't even have to probably tell you what those things mean because uh, you could probably fill in the blanks yourselves, but let's talk about them one at a time for just a minute. So the first one is rest in Jesus. So let's start with your life right now. Are you resting? And what does rest look like? Because six months ago, I feel like rest looked like something different in my life. If I was going to preach on rest, if I was going to try and experience rest in my life, it was about one thing. It was about trying to, you know, get away from busyness. It was like, oh, I got to get, the world is so busy. We have to stop busyness. We have to stop work. We have to just find rest. We have to recuperate. We have to enjoy life. You have to do your best to slow down. You can't overcommit. And if you're really going for it, if you're really trying to rest, well, why don't you try and practice Sabbath, which you would take one day a week, and you would just rest, and you would worship, and you would give that day to the Lord. That's the way we're supposed to rest. And what's interesting about the six months, uh, these last six months, what's happened to me is I've realized for most of my life, most of my life, I've connected my resting to this uh, discipline to try and stop my overproductive mind from continuing to push and plow forward. And so I thought resting was sort of like a control mechanism to control me from spinning out of control. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that there's perhaps a little bit of truth in that, that we can overwork if we aren't careful and get out of rhythm with rest. But there's a difference, I think, in what God is kind of trying to show us right now, because what happens when life isn't as busy as it used to be? Hello, coronavirus, right? What happens when we get more sleep or we actually have more time on our hands, yet we still feel anxious, we still feel weighed down and tired? You know, many of us have more time than we used to have, but we feel less rested. You're like, I don't have any more time. A lot of us do. Well, when that happens, I realize it's not just about, it's not just about working less or, or, or making sure that my physical body you know, has the proper amount of rest, that it's not actually those things. It's, it's discovering something different about what I'm calling resting in Jesus. Because there's a difference in resting for ourselves and resting in Jesus. You see, whenever our whole goal in rest is to get the uh, replenishment of our physical needs so we can go out and crush it again tomorrow, well, then we've, we've missed what resting in Jesus really is all about. So here's what I mean. The Greek word for abiding is the word minnow, not like the little fish minnow, but like minnow as an M-E-N-O minnow. And that word means to stay, to remain, to not depart, and to hang out. So Jesus is essentially saying, you're going to need to hang out with me if you want to be like me. But here's what I'm thinking happens to a lot of us, is that we don't necessarily have the mindset of hanging out with Jesus. We have more the mindset of visiting Jesus. And so we visit him at church on Sundays. Or maybe we visit them in prayer, or maybe we have a problem with life, and so we go, God, I need to go make a visit 
to, to Jesus to see if he can help me or if he can make me happy. And so we visit Jesus instead of hang out with Jesus. And so what happens is we don't, when we don't, or excuse me, when we visit him, we don't rest in him. Resting in Jesus is actually an act of staying with Jesus. But we leave him. Resting in Jesus is not about working for him or trying to get something from him. Resting is remaining. In Ephesians, Paul writes about this idea that we could be tossed back and forth by the waves of the world. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've ever seen a time in life where so many people feel tossed back and forth by the ways of the world and what they think and the opinions, um, by how they feel about life in general. And it just, it just reminds me of how we need to f- be able to rest in Jesus because Jesus is actually our stability. He's our rock. He's the thing that keeps us steady in times when the waves are heavy. <laughs> He's the one that can keep us from feeling tossed back and forth. I want you to think about it. We go to sleep reading our media feeds and looking at our phones, don't we? 90% of people look at their phones right before bed. No wonder we can't rest. <laughs> and by the way, the sa- about the same amount of people, right when we wake up, we grab our phone to see what we missed while we were asleep. No, no, no wonder our day begins with a little bit of stress because it hits us right away, once again, the waves. The average American checks their phone, meaning checks their phone, doesn't touch their phone, checks their phone 100 different times per day. And the younger you are, the more you check it. So the under 30s, you're up to about 160 checks per day, which means about over 2,000 swipes and taps a day. You see, here's the thing. We never depart the phone. We remain in the phone. We stay in the phone. We hang out with the phone. In other words, we're really good at abiding in the phone more than we are abiding in Jesus. And so if you want to hang out with Jesus, you got to think, I got to, I got to touch him a couple thousand times a day. I got to hit him up like 100, 160 times a day. Like I need, I, that's how much I need to remain in Jesus. Are you all with me? You see, I'm preaching today about something very simple, but it's pretty uncommon, isn't it? I'm preaching about something that all of you think you know, but right now you're feeling challenged by. I'm preaching about something that I think most of us feel like, oh, yeah, I figured that one out a long time ago. And maybe right now it's hitting you like, man, this abiding thing isn't exactly my everyday way of life. Because I know it's, for me, something that I think about, man, I got a long ways to go. Second thought, lie on Jesus. By the way, these three thoughts are not three independent thoughts. One rolls into the other. Rely on Jesus. When you, are, when you begin to rest in Jesus by being with him every day, when you aren't on a visitation schedule with Jesus, but you're resting in Jesus, well, then you'll begin to rely on Jesus for the things in your life. You'll trust the vine can actually do what the vine's supposed to do, that he'll provide, he'll sustain, and he'll give life. And so the alternative to relying on Jesus is the cycle of self-reliance in which you continually rely on yourself to do things without prayer, without trust, without waiting. And so how many times have you been in the place where you've tried to rely on yourself and just push through with the strength and the willpower by yourself and you end up going, what was I thinking? 
And see, he's saying, no, 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 if you rely on me, it will require you to wait. It will require you to trust. It will require you to pray because that was what I want to do. I want you to rest in me so that you can rely on me. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, don't disconnect, don't depart from me, stay in me, remain in me, abide in me. The uncommon way of Jesus as Lord trusts instead, trust him instead of self, instead of material things or the ways of the world. And this connects to our prayer life, by the way. Verse 7, I read it before, but I'll read it again. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus connects this abiding idea to answered prayer. I mentioned this briefly, but I want you to catch this because when we, pray, when we abide, our prayers actually become transformed and they actually become the heart of God the more we abide. And so Jesus has no problem confidently saying, God's going to answer your prayer if you're abiding because when you're abiding, you're going to know the heart of God and the things you're going to pray for are the things he wants to give you. And see, when we don't abide, we pray for the things he doesn't want to give us and then we think, why aren't you answering our prayer? And he says, because you're not abiding. If you abide in me, you'll actually know what I want to do for you. Abiding becomes resting in Jesus. And when you rest in Jesus, you learn to rely on Jesus for all things. Number three, finally, relinquish to Jesus. You know, Jesus can't be Lord without surrender. So what do you need to relinquish and give to him? Abiding is resting in Jesus, but it's also relinquishing to him. It's saying, I'm not in control it's not my will, God, but it is your will be done in my life. Let me just ask you, this is kind of fun. How many of you know someone who's a little bit of a control freak? Just raise your hand. Don't look at them right now. That'd be awkward. How many of you know someone that's a bit of a control freak right now? Most of you are looking at me. <laughs> so this is a little awkward. Um, we all know someone, right? We all know someone who's a we, we aren't control freaks. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm totally flexible as long as it's exactly the way I want it to be. I'm flexible. And that's the way most of us live life. We're like, oh, we, uh, yeah, I don't care where we go eat. But you totally care where you go eat. Someone says, oh, well, how about we, nah. And then you're like, oh, so yeah, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Yes, you do. And it'll be made known as soon as they tell you the place that they want to go that you don't want to go. You guys know what I'm talking about. Surrendering control is ultimately about lordship. The question becomes, who's driving your life? You see, <laughs> I'll never forget when I went to driver's ed class uh, back in the summer of 95, before the turn of the century. <laughs> I went to driver's ed class and I got in the car and there was one of those weird contraptions in which there was something extending from my steering wheel over to the passenger side of the car and extending from my brake over to the passenger side of the car. I don't think they do this anymore. Maybe they do, but they used to do this. And so when the teacher got in the car on the passenger side, they had a steering wheel and they had a brake. You understand what I'm saying? And so here's the thing. As I was driving, as I was driving, if I decided to go fast and furious on the guy, he could totally take control of the car. You see, I was driving, but the, but the teacher was in control. 
You see, God wants you to drive through life. He wants you to do whatever you want. He wants you to dream. He wants you to take, make choices. He wants you to, to, to go after it. But he also wants you to be able to say, but I'm relinquishing all things to you. You're in control. At the end of the day, even as I drive, whenever you want to, God, you take over. You take control because ultimately you're the one that's driving my life forward. And so this idea of control is something we all deal with. Listen to this. Evangelist and author Watchman Nee, he says something. He says, I must first have a sense of God's possession of me before I can have a sense of his presence with me. That is so good. In other words, as long as I think I'm in control, I'll be disconnected from the vine. So the question becomes, what are you trying to control in life? What are you striving for and stressing for that God would rather you rest and wait for? Can I say that again? Because I think this is important for a lot of us. What are you striving and stressing for that God would rather you wait and rest for? What are you reaching for instead of relinquishing? You know, giving him control doesn't mean giving up. You know, a lot of times we have the attitude like, God, I've done all I can, so I'm giving up, and now it's your turn to take over. Like, I couldn't figure it out, God, so I guess this is all, this is all, this is all you. You see, that's not, the, that's not the idea. The idea of resting in, in Jesus, relying in Jesus, and relinquishing all things to him is a surrendered heart that says, God, I want to give you these things. I want to trust you in these things because you're the Lord of my life. I'm not going to finally give up and then give it to you. I'm going to give it to you before I even try. So I'm going to close with verse 11. Jesus begins to summarize why he's saying this to his disciples. So again, last night he said some things that are pretty profound. And then he says, these things that I have spoken to you, I've spoken to you that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What I love about this is it's almost like he throws in, you think it's about work? And you think it's about, oh, he wants us to just submit to him. He wants us to, you know, it's, it feels kind of like abiding is like this process of like, oh, man, this is going to be this is going to be hard. I got to change everything about my life. And it just feels like surrendering everything. But then he says, I'm telling you this so that you have joy. Oh, I'm telling you this because Jesus as Lord actually brings joy. And I think sometimes we forget that. We think the more we give to God, the less we have in life. But so many of us are struggling with joy in life. And you know, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember that, right? And what did I say about fruit? Fruit's always visible. And I wonder how many of us would say, I have a joy that's visible in my life. People see it. But Jesus reminds us for some reason, out of all the fruits of the Spirit, he reminds us that joy is central to abiding. Rest in me, rely on me, relinquish and trust me with all things. And I tell you that so that your joy may be full. Your joy is his concern. Your joy is actually Jesus. It's God's hope for you. He wants you to be joyful. It's his intent. 
You may not remember this, but back in early in this year, I think it was in February, right when we got into the Tower Theater, we did a series on joy. And I read this quote, but it's so good, I wanna share it again. It says this, it says, life with God is different because its goal is not to use God, its goal is God. And he's specifically speaking to the idea of life with God, not life for God, not life of God, but life with God. He ceases to be a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Life with God means first treasuring him above all else. You remember when Jesus, right, he said in Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he buried it. And then he sold everything he had to go and buy that field so that his joy may be full. You see, in that, in that little parable that Jesus says, he's like, listen, when you treasure the kingdom, when you treasure me above all else, your joy will be full. So a life that declares that Jesus is Lord, it's uncommon. And it's demonstrated by a life that abides and surrenders all things to him. It's a life that isn't tossed back and forth by the waves of the world. Anybody want that? It's a life that is full of love in a time in our world where it seems to be more about division and hatred. It's a life that experiences the peace of God in any storm we face. It's a life that experiences this joy that we're talking about no matter what trial or challenge you encounter. It's a life that is patient when everything inside of you is wanting to strive and to stress under your own strength to get something done. It's a life that is kind and gentle in a world that seems like it's telling us that we should be loud and angry. It's a life that points to the good in people instead of just pointing in judgment to the bad, not only in people, but in the world. This is an uncommon way of life. It's a life that has a visible faith in God above all else. And it's a life that practices self-control whenever a world wants to push you into a life where you lose control. This is a life that is producing the spiritual fruit of God. You see, remember the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the visible fruit that the Lord wants us to bear. And Jesus wants us to bear not no fruit, not just a little fruit, not even more fruit, but he ends this dialogue with his disciples, encouraging them to bear much fruit. An uncommon life is only possible with Jesus as Lord. So I don't know about you, but I want, I want to bear much fruit in my life. And, and I want to just be real that I probably partner with you and share with you in this desire for that, yet this acknowledgement that uh, it's, a, it's a journey, it's a process, 
But when I ignore the journey and the process of growing in this, I allow my old self to start to take the throne back over in my life. I want to be aware of the journey that God has got me on and that I want to grow in this idea of abiding. And so I just want to ask you, maybe, maybe it's all three of these things, but do you need to rest in Jesus? Do you need to find a way to rest in him, find your stability in him, hanging out, not just visiting Jesus, but hanging out with him regularly and every day? What about relying on him? You know, self-reliance is exhausting and limited. Relying on imperfect people or relying on uh, the materialism in this world will end in disappointment. So is there something that you need to re just, just rely on Jesus with right now? And then finally, do you need to relinquish, relinquish anything to him? Full abiding is relinquishing all things to him. Because remember what he said. He says, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So a life with Jesus, yes, it's uncommon, but it's the only way to really live. And so I just want to pray with us today. I'm going to pray for you. And to do that, I'm just going to ask you to kind of stand with me and maybe bow your heads, close your eyes as we, uh, as we just take this word from the Lord in this scripture and just allow it to touch our hearts today. Everyone's heads bowed, eyes closed. I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, we need you right now. We need your presence, so we invite it. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Come, Holy Spirit. I just want you to be ready for the Lord to just even encourage your heart right now, challenge your heart. We just want to pray for holy moments to happen in this place today. I pray that, Lord, you would break the cycle of striving that so many of us have. I pray you break the cycle of self-reliance today. I pray you break the cycle of abiding in a world instead of abiding in you. If you just want to have a heart that just hungers and thirsts right now, just acknowledge that before him and say, Lord, I, I just want, I want this. I want to abide. It's hard and sometimes I get sidetracked, but I want this. If that's your heart today, just start to pour it out to him. Say, Lord, I want, I want to abide. I want to, I want to surrender. I want to rely on you, rest in you. To, to abide believes that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. The world will toss us back and forth, but with you, Father, we can be stable. So, Lord, we need you right now. I'm just going to pray a couple specific things, but, Lord, we pray that if you direct our life, direct our time, how we use it, I pray you'd give us a vision for our routines and our spiritual rhythms in life. And I pray for faith to rise up in this room. Faith to rise up for those who are listening or watching. That 2020 wouldn't be destined to just be a crazy year where we just sort of throw in the towel on it, but this would be the year that marks the time where we realize what Lordship is all about. And that, Father, we would declare with our whole being that Jesus is Lord. Would you do that, Father, in us, through us, around us, in this body right here, Father? May we declare in word and deed that you are Lord. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're just going to respond in worship. And so we're just going to sing. And I just encourage you to sing as we talk uh, back to God with worship that he is the one that we want to surrender all things to. So would you sing? And if you want to, this altar's open. Prayer team will be here. Let's just respond to him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.